Jesus made it very clear that a decision to follow was a decision to die, to surrender everything to him. And so Jesus turns to the crowd, and he turns to you and me, and he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? The passage this morning is out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to that Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a popular magazine for hikers called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest peak. Returning from 4,409 feet requires explicit and detailed directions, especially in bad weather. But if you were to actually follow the directions, they would take you right off the edge of a cliff and into a thousand foot drop. At next intersection, turn right. Imagine traveling along, feeling secure and confident, not knowing that the directions in your hand, if actually followed, would lead to your destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? So in our passage from Luke 7, we read about two people who encountered Jesus on very different paths. Jesus is invited to eat with Simon the Pharisees and invited to his home. 
Simon doesn't give Jesus a kiss when he comes in, not even on the hand, even though that was the custom of the time. Typically, he would have gotten his feet washed too, which makes sense because they walk everywhere that they go. And, and maybe he, Simon wouldn't have done it, but he would have had a, a servant to wash the feet of his guest. But Jesus' feet went unwashed. Oftentimes when you had a guest, especially a distinguished guest, you would anoint them with, with inexpensive olive oil. That was the custom in that time. But none of that, none of it happened for Jesus. So Jesus is eaten at this house under the pretense of being an honored guest. Says, I'm come, Jesus, to my home. I, I, I want to hear what you have to say. But he was dishonored from the time that he got there all the way through to the middle of the meal when there's an uninvited guest. She's a known sinner. She's imperfect. She's made mistakes. She walks into the house and she's weeping and she's crying and she falls at the feet of Jesus. Tears are dripping off her cheeks onto those dirty, nasty, muddy feet. And you could, it, if you've been dirty and, 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 that, and you tears or, or water kind of starts to streak, so his feet undoubtedly are, are streaking because of the dirt washing off. She sees that they're not washed. She would not have expected that because it, Jesus is the honored guest. Surely they'd wash his feet. So she wouldn't have come in thinking, well, I'm going to do these things. But she do, undoes her hair. washes his feet tears are the water hair is the towel she begins to kiss them she's crying she knows she's broken she knows that she's fallen short she knows that she's not worthy of being in this position she pulls out that jar of expensive perfume she pours it on his feet can you see that that picture of her in that moment, hang on to that. We'll come back to that later on this morning. I want to talk a little bit about intimacy. Now, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but when a baby is born, they cry a lot. A lot. They don't have any other way to communicate. No other way to say what they want or what they need and get those needs met. And for those of us who, who aren't, like a, when I'm Uncle Mike and I'm in the house, I may not know exactly what's wrong, right? So, so what's the process? Well, the first thing you do when the baby's crying is you, you got to pick them up, right? And please stop. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. Maybe they're, maybe they're hungry. Let me get a bottle or a pacifier. And, and, and I try to, try, you said, try to feed them. That doesn't work. Now we're getting, now we're getting down to the, the not good stuff. <laughs> and you may know this third thing prior to trying the other two things, but you're still going to try the other two things first. <laughs> so, you, so, so you go, okay, they need a diaper change. In the end, though, we usually don't know exactly what to do right off the bat. So we go through this process. But a parent, parents seem to know, especially moms. Especially moms. Moms listen to the cry and go, oh, well, she's tired. She needs to lay down for a nap. 
and invariably they're right. Or, he's hungry. So you get the bottle and you give it to him. And there's another cry, and, and the mom says, oh, she needs her diaper changed, and she needs her daddy to do it. Who are we to argue with the baby whisperer, right? You know, Teresa. <laughs> There's almost no relationship that's more intimate than a mother and their baby. And I'm not discounting dads either because that's a very special relationship as well. And, and, and there's a strong, strong connection in that. But something happens, I, I believe, in that nine months when, when the baby is growing, there's a connection in there that is, that is really it's intimate and allows a mom to know more than just the average person would. And until you've witnessed it or been in that kind of relationship, you won't know what that kind of intimacy is. I could read you a definition. I could explain where the word comes from. I can tell you what the, how the word is used. But if you're, if, if you're not in an, a relationship that is intimate, you would just know about intimacy. You just know about it. And there's three, thi- three points this morning, and the first is that God knows you intimately. God knows you intimately. The best word probably for Intimacy is the word know. It's first year used in, the, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It simply says that Adam knew his wife Eve. The Hebrew word for that is, is word, it's yada. The definition is to, be, is to know and be known completely. Yada. The NIV translates the word a little differently because it puts, in the con- puts things in the context of what's happening so that same passage is that Adam lay with his wife Eve. But you get the picture. It's the context for, for yada. But don't giggle or, or, you know, oh, or brush past that because it's not, it's not about the, the, the physical intimacy and it's not the Seinfeld thing either of yada, yada, yada. It's not, it's not that. It's, it's different from that. This is a yada moment between a husband and a wife. It's a moment of knowing and being known. It's an intimate connection on every level. Yada. The Hebrew scholar calls it a mingling of the souls. I like to people watch. Um, and we go out to restaurants periodically, probably more often than not. Too. Um, and, and sometimes when, you, when, you, when you're at a restaurant and you see folks at a table, uh, a young couple, and, and they're at the table and and they're kind of they're into each other, right? It's like you know they're laughing and they're carrying on, they're having that conversation, and 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 the food doesn't even get touched because they're just there's not a quiet moment between them. It's it's all about you know that that talking back and forth, and you go, hey, that's pretty cool. And over here, you might see an older couple and they're <laughs> eating their dinner, <laughs> and they're not they're not talking much. They're 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 eating their food and. And you look at that and you go, oh, that's, that's, you might think, well, that's just, oh, that's kind of sad. They, they don't have that back and forth that they used to, that, that never a quiet moment thing. But I think if, if that's what you would think, you'd be missing something. For Kit and I, one of the moments when I knew that we had something very, very special was on a long drive. We were on a trip, driving for hours, and we were in the car, and we didn't feel the need 
to fill up every moment with words. We were just together. We were in each other's presence, and it was cool. It was tangible. And I knew, I knew that that was, a, that was very special. And I think that's what God wants from us, too, is to that level of intimacy, that level of knowing. Because when, when you have that, you know it. You, you die it. And it changes the way that I look at my relationship with God because my relationship with God is not a casual fling. It's not a weekend thing. It's a being in the presence of thing. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want him to be a part of what's going on in my life. It's a deeper knowing, and it's intimacy. David, who uh, Brad referenced a little bit earlier, he wrote uh, Psalm 139. And five times in this psalm, he writes, he, 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 he uses the word yadah to describe how God knows him. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You know, you know, you know, you know. You know, yada, 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 yada. David speaks to God in a very intimate way. Says, God, you know how I feel. You know how I hurt. You know what I'm thinking. You know. And the amazing thing is that God also wants us to know him, which is kind of outlandish, that the creator of hev heaven and earth and all that is desires that he wants us to be in that kind of relationship with him it's an invitation that is offered to us and there's a lot of passages in the bible i'm going to read jeremiah 24 7 and i'll give them a heart to know me they'll be my people and i'll be their god for they'll have returned to me with all their hearts they'll be my people i'll be their god it's kind of like you saying i want I want you to know me more closely and minutely than you know anyone else. I, I want that relationship with you. I want you to know my heart. I want to connect with you on a deep level, not on this surface level. I want all, all of who you are, not just the little stuff. Bring everything to me. I, I want to be a part of your life. I want our hearts to come together. I want to connect with you in a special and deep way to know one another completely. It's easy when we read those kind of passages like Jeremiah 24, 7 to think, oh, that's beautiful, and it's very poetic. But there's more to it than that. I mean, if someone wrote a letter to you that had those kind of words in it, it'd be a little bit embarrassing, perhaps, you know? It's like, I, I want to know you more closely and minutely than you know anyone else. Really? I'm married, sorry. 
want you to know my heart, to connect with me on a deep level. And that can be a little bit scary. Intimacy can be very scary. Has anyone in here ever been hurt? See, what happens is when we make ourselves vulnerable, which if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you have to make yourself vulnerable. And when we do that, we let someone in, which opens us up to the possibility of being hurt. And so we have a fear of intimacy with others and intimacy with God because we know that vulnerability and pain can go hand in hand. Those things can happen together. And a lot of us have experienced betrayals of that kind from somebody close to us. We opened up, they took advantage of us, and and then they let us down. And when we make ourselves vulnerable to God, something else happens because we know he's going to find some things in our life that maybe we're not real proud of. The woman in our passage this morning, she had sin in her life. She knew it. She knew she was unworthy to touch the Messiah. And because we've all fallen short, we know that God's going to look into our lives and see those things. He's going to find some stuff that he doesn't condone. So it makes some sense that we are a little bit afraid of that level of vulnerability. But this series is about, are you a fan or a follower? And and I'm going to tell you, followers know that there's much more to be gained from having that level of intimacy with God, despite the risk. Than in, in, than in trying to keep everything on surface. See, when we have God with us, it doesn't, the pain doesn't matter because he'll see us through it. He'll walk with us through it. He'll carry us through it if need be. Followers know that. And that can only come with it through an intimate relationship with Christ. And in the church, we, we talk a lot about personal relationship, but it's also a communal relationship. Yes, we have a personal relationship with God, but we live that out in community. It's what we're striving for more and more here at Arbor Point is to become that kind of place that we're at each other's softball games or, or, or events or track meets or, or whatever it is. We want to be part of each other's lives, not just a Sunday morning thing, but a life thing. Followers know that, and we desire that level of intimacy with one another. Fans, not so much. Fans like the idea, they they like knowledge. I want to know stuff, but I'm not sure about that intimacy thing. Give me knowledge. I want to know about Jesus. I don't know about really knowing him. If I really dive deep, he might ask me to change some stuff, and I I don't know that I want to do that, but I want to know all about him. We've struggled in the church with embracing that level of intimacy that that draws us to Jesus and allows him into every aspect of our life. So we've developed systems of learning, not unlike Simon and the other Pharisees. See, our human being default is is surface because 
To go below surface is to be at risk to getting hurt. So we keep it at surface, and knowledge is a wonderful way to do that. So we develop Bible studies, right? And we like Bible studies that have curriculums so that we can learn about, about Jesus. Because I do want to know about Jesus. I, I want to know some of those things that he did. Preachers, we, we do our sermons, and we'll often give an outline or, or a study guide on those so that we can study about the message. Or Christian schools, there's Christian schools from... From low, you know, we're starting a Mother's Morning Out program, you know, all the way up to, to universities and, and graduate programs. And we, we study stuff. I mean, we study theology and exegesis and, and Hebrew and Greek and Latin and you name it, we study it and we parse it and we pick it apart. We like knowledge. We like to know about stuff. And let me be clear. We're supposed to study God's word is critical for us in our walk. We need to study. We need to learn as much as we can. But it's not just so that we can be smart about Jesus. It's so that we can have a relationship with Jesus that is intimate. We're not supposed to substitute knowledge for intimacy. It's easy to say, I know about Jesus. That's what Simon did. He invited Jesus in, completely disrespected him because he wanted to know about Jesus. He'd heard about this rabbi, this preacher who had been out there teaching. He heard about the miracles undoubtedly and invited him into his house so that he could learn more about Jesus. But he didn't want to know Jesus. You know who wanted to know Jesus? The woman. She was willing to set aside the social and societal norms and the cultural norms of that day to get down on her feet, to wash his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair. She didn't care what it cost her. She wanted to know Jesus, not to know about Jesus. Followers want to know Jesus, not just know about Jesus. The world knows about Jesus. We want to know him. We want to open ourselves up to where he would have us to be. So the question of the day, right? Are you willing to let that happen? Are you willing to let Jesus know you and seek him so that you can know him? Not, and I don't mean just knowledge. I mean yada. To know and be known. Are we willing to take those steps? Develop that close, intimate relationship that he asks of us. If we are, it will require us to risk. Risk our comfort. Risk our security. But we gain so much more. Forgiveness, grace, empowerment from the Holy Spirit to carry us through whatever it is, the good and the bad and the ugly in life. It doesn't matter. With God with us, we can get through all of it. But it's up to us. Jesus does that all the time, doesn't he? Here's what I offer. Here's what it costs. What are you going to do with it?